Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cash That. This is your host, Joe Delera, testing out the new mic today. Let me know what you guys think. Um, do want to say that we are still running that promo with props.cash for this spot. And what we're looking at is all we're asking you to do in order to win a free month of props.cash. So we've got WNBA, we've got MLB, a little bit more of the NBA season, a little bit more of NHL, um, and get your, you know, kind of get used to how the format works and test it out if you haven't done so before, or, you know, get a free month if you have. And what we're asking for you to do is rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts um, and leave us hopefully a five-star review. And we'll go through those and we'll pick out a winner. Um, but with that in mind, I want to give out a quick game two best bets episode here and a little bit of a recap of what I saw in game one. I think that when I'm looking at these games and what I feel what I'm what I'm from what I'm watching, right, is that Denver didn't really play great and they still managed to win. And I think that that's critically, critically important, especially when we're looking at the fact that Miami really could have had that game, but that was a game, obviously, we thought that Denver was going to win. So it shouldn't really come as like a huge surprise, right? But just the way that Denver was able to win, um, they kind of dom- they dominated the entire game. Uh, every time Miami kind of got a little bit closer, Denver was able to either go on a little bit of a run, put, get a couple stops, force a turnover, whatever it was. And Miami actually made more threes than Denver, which is uh, like surprising, right? Because neither team shot particularly well. However, I would say that Denver to be, they just didn't even really get the good look. They didn't even get the shots to go in. MPJ had plenty of good looks, um, but he wasn't able to get those to drop. But I'll talk about MPJ a little bit more later. But either way, the one thing that Miami did do that I think is notable, right? is Miami was able to stop Denver in transition. And I thought that that was particularly important. Uh, Denver only got out into transition on 11% of their, uh, of their plays. And that was really, really important. And they, they smacked off steals. Like they, the steals were a problem uh, whenever they were able to force a steal, which Miami is good. They don't really turn the ball over a ton. They were, you know, Denver was able to score a lot, but I think, what you have to look at here, right, is at the beginning of the game, they decided to make Jokic not a score. It was a lot of Aaron Gordon. It was a lot more Murray. And Jokic was a passer, just racking up assists. They started to make a tactical change, basically, to say, like, all right, you know what? That's a little too much of that. This is a little too easy for him. We're going to make him a score. And he he had put up like 27 of the quietest points I've ever seen. Like, I didn't feel like he scored 27. But at the end of the game, when Miami started to get it a little bit closer, Jokic just went and got like back-to-back-to-back baskets. So this is definitely something that I'm interested to see how Miami elects to cover Jokic. But I said this before the series. I still think that they are going to elect to allow him to be a scorer. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it is going to expend a lot more energy for him on offense. And, you know, it, it then they're able to lock down a couple more things at, on the season or not on the season, on the other players, rather, as the game kind of progresses and force everything to run through Jokic, who then on the defensive side of the ball, maybe he's a little bit more tired and he's been 
playing pretty solid defense. Jimmy Butler even, you know, kind of gave him a little bit of a hat tip after game one. But if he's able to be put into action and given multiple looks and have to give two efforts, multiple efforts, I think that that might impact you know, maybe he gets a little tired and he fouls. Granted, he really doesn't foul out. So I think that that's important to note as well. But if he's a little bit more tired, then maybe the offense doesn't come as easily. And you, it kind of like goes in and over itself, right? So I like his points. It's, a, it's definitely a bet for me. It's a 27 and a half. I like that spot uh, immensely, especially due to the pick and roll that he can run with Jamal Murray. And Murray... Basically, over 40% of his passes went to Jokic in game one, and he got four assists from that. His line's at five and a half, six and a half, depending on the book. I like both. Um, He had 17 potentials and 10 actual assists in game one. So that's definitely a look for me. Additionally, when we look at that pick and roll, it's very difficult for anybody to cover that. Bam Adebayo is arguably the best defensive player in the league, and he is struggling to cover that, right? And Bam's having, Bam had a great game one, but that's just a, that's a really tough one for him. And my concern with Bam in that action is if they decide to start using Jokic a little bit more as a scorer, he's going to have to make you know, he's a great defender. He doesn't necessarily foul too much, but he's going to have to be a little bit more intentional with what his fouling is and, you know, how he covers Jokic on a play-by-play basis. So I do like his points. I don't love that they move Bam's points up so many points just because I could see this as maybe being a spot where if he does pick up fouls because the Nuggets do go to Jokic and that's what they do want to do early is start with him as a scorer, that's not a spot that I necessarily like for him. And he took a career high field goal attempts uh, in game one. So it's definitely it's definitely something that I'm a little bit more nervous about for Bam. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay away from his points line there. But back to that pick and roll, the reason I think that it's so important that Denver is able to run that pick and roll and really get it going, right? Is it's going to stress Miami. And the one thing that they've been able to do, or that like the Lakers tried to do a bit, is they were like, well, we'll we will let um we will let we will let Aaron Gordon like we'll help off of Aaron Gordon. And Miami kind of tried to do that to start the game and then they just peppered him like immediately on back cuts, back cuts, you know, uh, pick and roll handoff, whatever. And Aaron Gordon was open so much. So I think the thing that could happen or, and like kind of is happening is instead of being able to use Jimmy as a guy that can help off of Gordon, if the nuggets are forcing Jimmy to be on Gordon, that makes this much more difficult because there's not really a lot of guys that can match up with the size and strength that Aaron Gordon has. So instead of being able to put, you know, Jimmy, maybe like doubling Jokic or doing a little bit of help with MPJ, you're now forcing him to play off of Aaron Gordon. And that I think is very interesting from a situational perspective, because now you're kind of taking away that free safety ability that Jimmy has had and has been so, so good at. And if you do that, then that really opens up the game a bit more for guys like Michael Porter Jr., KCP, Bruce Brown, like your, your shooters 
in particular, not real Bruce Brown's not really a shooter, but he's been making threes against Miami. So that's a big factor. Why I like Michael Porter jr. To go over his threes, um, ton of volume in game one, he had 11, three point attempts, seven of which were considered open or wide open. And that means basically that he had at least roughly four feet of space between him and the closest defender. That's significant in the, in the NBA. And prior to game one during the playoffs, he was shooting over 46% on those looks from three-point range. He made just one of seven in game one. No way that that's going to be the case in game two. He's just far too good of a shooter for him to only make one and go two for 11 from three. So I think that that's really, really important. And I think it's very, very interesting. Um, so I, I really do think that he's going to be able to go over that line again here um, or go over that line for the first time. And I think that you should be taking him at four plus, potentially even five plus. You're getting some really juicy numbers on a guy that you know is getting volume. He played 43 minutes. His rebounding is really keeping him on the floor. And I'm going to tell Brandon on this, uh, Brandon Anderson, but he likes the double-double at plus 225. Great bet. Uh, he led the game in rebound chances, tied with Bam, 21 each. Jokic had 20, but still, the rebounds are notable. It's keeping him on the floor. Those are all hustle stats. Only a couple games left here. There's no way that he's going to sit. He's he's healthy. He's in good shape. He's going to be playing and grabbing those rebounds. The other thing that I think is important in this game is late in the fourth um, when Miami was starting to make that little bit of a comeback, one thing that we've been talking about is like, you can't play zone against Denver. And we saw it a little bit in the second quarter when Jokic was out. And then we saw it in the fourth quarter, which was surprising because Jokic was in and it actually worked. Um, Denver was scoring less than one point per possession or per, you know, per possession, which is a good number to hold Denver to obviously. Um, and I think it was about like 0.7, right? Um, small sample size, obviously. The thing that I think is interesting about that is if they can get it, like, is it that they got it to work or is it that Denver just didn't really make shots? So it's a little bit of a thing that we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But look, Denver missed a lot of open shots. They, they did not have a great effective field goal percentage in game one. They were at 55.1%, which is... You know, it's good generally, right? However, if you're the Denver Nuggets, it's not necessarily the best when over the course of the playoffs, you're shooting 56.5% EFG percentage. And this Miami team is one where they are allowing like a generally lower um, or like a worse expected field goal percentage for their opponents. So I think that it's, a spot where it Denver should be able to regulate that. I don't think zone will necessarily be playable when Jokic is on the floor, but it's definitely something to watch just in terms of pace, in terms of maybe slowing them down a little bit. Um, it's something that I'm curious to see in game two. I don't know if I necessarily want to lay all of the points right um, in this spot. It's nine minus nine again. I, my issue with the, the full game spread is Miami just always does this thing where they kind of get it close enough. And the problem with the minus nine is 
honestly, like if it was minus four, I'd lay the points every time. And that's in part because you're in that field goal range, Denver, like that's a close enough game where Denver's going to keep their foot on the gas. Minus nine, you get to the point where if it's like late in the game, it's like, you know, there's two minutes left or like a minute left and you're Denver's up by 15. And then all of a sudden you hit like back-to-back threes or, or whatever. That can just happen. And then you backdoor this spot. So I know what the trends say about teams winning and then they generally cover as well. But I, I think that it's just a little bit far for me here against a Miami team that's generally been so good against the spread in the postseason overall. So that's why I like to back Denver in the first quarter. It's a spot that they've been dominant in. And Miami has actually been the best team in terms of spread differential over the course of the entire postseason at plus 6.8. So that was a game in game one where I felt like Denver dominated and they still didn't really play an A game to me. I think they played a little bit more of a B game, but Miami also didn't really play great. Like they have some things that they can do. They have some things they can take home and say like, all right, like what can we do to fix this? Obviously, Struess, Caleb Martin, um, Duncan Robinson all shot terribly, right? In game one. I think that, you know, you should expect them to make a couple more shots. Like you got to expect them to make at least say 35% of those looks. Granted, the concern is they're all, they all have flaws, right? And Caleb Martin just had like one of the craziest runs ever so far during the playoffs, but that's just not necessarily who he is as a player. Like people are like, oh, like he's got that in him, like whatever. But that's not what we've seen from him traditionally over the course of the entire season, even this year or throughout his career. So you have to wonder, like, is it a little bit of a flash in the pan? Is there, is there, is it an issue for him against a Denver team that's, bigger than him, stronger than him, every other, you know, like they have all these other talent factors outside of, and, and size factors, physical factors, besides the talent that kind of go against him. And then, you know, Struess has kind of struggled a bit during the playoffs. Duncan Robinson is somebody that Denver is looking to attack. They're looking to go after him. Uh, I think that a guy that's going to be important in game two for Miami is Kyle Lowry, right? Or, and, I think he's important for a couple of different reasons, but one of which is he could potentially stop Denver from playing as much drop because he's somebody that can walk up to the three-point line, handle the ball effectively. Like he's a passing threat. He's also a three-point threat. If Kyle Lowry can get it going, I think that that could kind of bend Denver's defense, maybe just a little bit, but granted, it's kind of one of those things like, well, you're asking quite a bit from Kyle Lowry, aren't you? And And I think so. I was a little bit surprised in game one. We didn't see any Kevin love. I thought that we would definitely see a little bit of Kevin love, but um, just for the fact of his rebounding, he can also stretch the floor a little bit for you. And we didn't see any of that. Um, What I will say is if he does play and it looks like he's playing some more minutes or they start him, it could be a spot to bet. If they start him, it's a spot to bet Bam's first quarter rebounds under because Bam's rebounds per game drop precipitously when he plays alongside of Kevin Love. Um, Obviously he get played out of the rotation so fast. So maybe it's a, I think it's a first quarter angle instead, or if they sub him in and you're like, Oh, like he's playing a lot. It could maybe be a live betting angle for, um, for a Bam rebounding under there. So those are just a couple of the, the thoughts that I have in game one. Um, the bets that I'm locking in, I'm on Jokic, 
his points. I'm on Michael Porter Jr. threes. I'm on his double-double, courtesy of Brandon. I'm on Murray assists over five and a half, over six and a half. Um, I am still, I still really like that play that Jim Turvey had given out for Jokic to be go to basically head to head against Butler, uh, to score more points. I think that Jimmy, Jimmy doesn't really look great and I'm not sure if it's the injury. I'm not sure if he's tired. I'm not really sure what it is, but he hasn't looked great, um, in terms of his scoring and he didn't really have a lot of aggression in game one. Um, so definitely something to keep an eye on, but I do like that, that head to head prop. Um, I like the Nuggets in the first quarter as well. I think that one of the things we may see in game two, maybe we see a little bit more aggression for Miami to try to grab some fouls. But I will say that in game one, I didn't think that there were fouls that weren't called. You know, Miami only took two, but it seemed like a fair two. Um, it, you know, maybe the, maybe one or two more, but there wasn't a spot where I was like, man, like they're just not getting any calls. It just really didn't seem like they were drawing contact on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I think that Denver, you guys know, I think Denver takes this series without too much of a sweat, but those are a couple of the spots and a couple of the things that I'm looking at to bet in game two. So everybody enjoy your Sundays, enjoy game two. We'll be back for game three and we're going to have a nice special guest and I will announce that on Twitter. We will talk about that. It should be a lot of fun. Let's cash that.